So if you are just joining us, uh, we have spent the last couple of months working through a series that we're calling Slowing Down. Uh, and, and this series has actually been very, very healing for me. Uh, it has been something that I needed to work through. I needed to, to learn from, and I'm, I'm grateful that you guys have been on this journey with me. Um, it started for me probably three and a half months ago. I had a, another young guy who's a pastor from out of town who is in the process of transitioning into the lead role at his church. And so he found out that I'd been at, at that point uh, leading this church for, I don't know, eight, eight and a half months or so. And he goes, okay, so what's it like? As if like I have a whole lot of experience, right? What's it like? And the first image that popped through my mind was of me freshman year in high school. I was just leaving Estancia High School where I went um, from water polo practice. I was rollerblading home. For those of you who've never seen rollerblades, they're like roller skates, but in line. Um, and of course, I had to be cool. So I had taken the brake off because brakes are totally uncool. Um, and so, and, and at the time, I was a little bit deeper and wider. I was probably about the same weight, but about half a foot shorter. <laughs> yeah, I always say, you know, me and playing water polo in high school was like a Bartlett pair with a rubber band wrapped around me. That's me and Speedos. <laughs> Sorry for that image. I'll never get it out. But, um, so I'm, I'm riding my rollerblades home because we don't drive at this time. And, and, and I come to the top of what we, we lovingly call Puke Hill because that's where all the track people would have to run up and down. Puke Hill is steep. It doesn't look all that steep when you're sitting in the backseat of your mom's car being driven to practice. But when you're standing on rollerblades with no brake, holding your towel and all of your other stuff, kind of staring down at you, are like, oh, that's pretty steep. But I figured, I got this, you know, I'm just going to serpentine down. And, and if I get going too quickly, no problem. I can just always reach out and grab one of the light posts that's lovingly set along the side the whole way down. Great idea until I got about 10 yards in and realized this plan is not going to plan, right? First off, there's cars going both ways. So serpentine is out. I'm just like kind of locked in here. And I was able to stop myself on the first light post. It caused a couple of abrasions, but I did it. But the next one was so far down but that by the time I got to it, I was going so quickly that if I had tried to reach out and grab it, I would have lost my rotator cuff. Um, I didn't know anatomy at the time, so I wouldn't have been able to call it that. I would have just said I, I would have really hurt myself. So I just, at this point, I'm locked in and I'm just kind of white knuckling my towel as I'm flying down the hill and I'm just kind of going, ah, and I am one crack, one errant rock away from yard sailing and paving puke hill with my skin. And I just, and you ever like, see one of those guys, it's almost like, uh, I think of like Star Wars when they're, they're flying through the explosion, like, and it's just a, it turns from a scream of desperation to one of exaltation, like, I cannot believe I survived. And I survived. And I'm like, never again. But when this young pastor asked me, so what's it like? That's the image that flashed through my mind. Because I feel a whole lot like myself 10 yards into this down, downhill kind of thing going, I'm picking up speed and I don't know how to slow down. And, and I am... I, 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 I have vacation and stuff like these light posts, but they're so far apart. How, I, I can try to 
to survive until then. But how do you survive in the interim? How, this isn't thriving. This is just holding on for dear life, white knuckling it. And it's so unbelievably exciting to see all that God is doing. In no way do I want you to hear that I'm going, oh gosh, this is such a slog. This is a thrill to be a part of what God is doing here at Lighthouse. And yet, the pace at which life has been going has become, had been becoming so out of control that when my, I, we would pass people in the hallway over in the, in the offices and when your staff starts saying as a joke, it's going to slow down around here, and that becomes the running joke, you go, there's a problem. And I recognized it was becoming a problem and this was not sustainable. It was becoming dangerous. And I was just one speed bump, one unexpected detour, one errant temptation away from yard sailing. And this time it wouldn't be a bunch of towels in my arms. Now it would be my family. Now it's my, my name in this city that I've grown up in. Now it's this community of people that I love that's what I'm carrying in my arms. And so the stakes are much, much higher. And I recognize I cannot simply white-knuckle it and hope that this all turns out okay. Something has to give because I cannot sustain this pace. And I suspect that many of us in here probably feel the same way about our lives. And in fact, I know that to be the case because as we have started down this conversation of how do we slow down, so many of you have come up to me and said, that describes my life as well. I feel like life is becoming crazy hectic. And it's not like the responsibilities begin to abate as life goes on. They just continue to accumulate. And even when you retire, I, I've jokingly said a couple times this week, some of you go, man, I retired and my life got crazy. And I've seen that to be the case. Retirement does not mean you just stop doing stuff. In fact, your life is just as full. And yet we can't sustain the pace at which we find ourselves running. And if something doesn't give, then we are placing not only ourselves, but the people that rely upon us and our families and our relationship with God into danger. And so we began a conversation about two months ago that said, how can we begin to intentionally slow down so that the pace that this world has set for us, the pace that our society tends to set for us, does not become the pace at which we try to run and ultimately we flame out. We don't want to do that. We don't want to pave life with our good intentions. And we began this conversation about seven weeks ago by looking at an invitation that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Please feel free to take this with you. We've got others, so you're not going to be depriving somebody else. But Matthew chapter 11. The time that Jesus is going to make this invitation, word about him has begun to spread. He's becoming kind of the, the hot rabbi on the block. Not, okay, I was going to say something about attraction. That's not what I mean. I'm just talking about everybody wants to be around him. Everybody wants a piece of him. Their word about him has spread. There is something different about this guy. Whereas the other rabbis tend to quote a whole bunch of other rabbis, Jesus just says it. He speaks with authority as if he himself is intimately familiar with the Father's voice. Not only that, but he backs up his teaching with healing, with miracles, with feeding people. 
There's something about this guy, and people are clamoring for his attention. And so as Jesus is surrounded by his disciples and a whole bunch of other hangers-on, he turns to them and he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <sighs> yeah, I want some of that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, when we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago, I pointed out that a yoke is a euphemism, a first century kind of Middle Eastern euphemism for a, a, a rabbi's entire set of teaching, their worldview, the framework from which they both live and also kind of lay under the shoulders of their disciples so that they can grow into the image of and become more like their rabbi. Now, a yoke in that day and age was something that it was a wooden bar that would be placed onto the shoulders of a beast of burden, whether it's because they were going to pull a plow or because they were going to carry a heavy load. And what the yoke did is it took the weight that would normally just rest directly on their back and it spread it out over their shoulders, the strongest part of their body. So it would just kind of go right over their shoulders and it would spread the weight out so that the same weight would actually feel lighter to them. And Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because my yoke is easy and it will make the burden of life in this crazy sin-scarred world so much lighter. So rather than saying what you need is a mattress, he's saying what you need is a new way to carry the responsibilities of life that you find yourself shouldering. And we all have them. We all experience it. And as you get older, you're going to find that the burdens only become more burdensome. Now, as we talked about when we, we looked at this verse the first time, it's a great thought. Yes, I want to add Jesus. I want that yoke. I want to place it on my shoulders. But more often than not, when we try to add Jesus into our lives, it doesn't feel like it lightens the burden. Oftentimes when we read, say, the Sermon on the Mount, which is a great digest of his yoke, his teaching, we go, oh, I got to do this now and I got to do this and I got to actually forgive them rather than, you know, I, I got to do all of these things. And it becomes like we're loading ourselves down with more expectation. And it does just the opposite. It doesn't lighten the load. It actually feels like it makes it heavier. And the reason for that is that we have just taken Jesus' yoke and tried to place it right onto our shoulders, not realizing that we already have a yoke that we each wear. We wear a yoke that we have inherited from this world. Inherited perhaps from the families of origin that we were raised in. Inherited from the, the schools and the spheres of influence that we were a part of. Inherited from the society in which we live. I mean, we are like fish swimming in the water not realizing we're wet. Because it's all we know. We wear a yoke of busyness. And, and trying to keep up with the Joneses. And man, do the Joneses run fast. Right? Because you go on their Facebook page or their Instagram feed and you see the trip that they're doing. You see the new vehicle they're driving. You see the fun stuff they're doing. And you're like, well, man, why am I not doing it? I've got to do more. I've got to provide more. I've got to uh, 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 on and on and on. And we find ourselves constantly running, just trying to stay neck and neck with the people around us. And we're exhausted. And then we say, Jesus, I need a little bit of that too. And we try to put it on our shoulders. It's like, oh. 
more weight. And so the secret to the easy yoke is not that we need to sprinkle Jesus into our lives hoping that he's the magic fairy dust that's going to fix everything. The secret to the easy yoke is we need to be willing to take the yoke that we wear off and then place the yoke of Jesus, this new framework for doing life, over our shoulders. And, and we will find we can't just have him in a little bit of our lives. We need to be willing to. It's not like adding a new app onto your phone that's already got an operating system. It's like getting a whole new operating system. It changes everything. It cleans out the clutter. It takes away a lot of the guilt. In fact, I would say it pretty much swipes the guilt to the right or the left. I'm not sure which way you're supposed to swipe. I have no idea about swiping. You get the idea, though, right? We cannot simply add Jesus to our lives and go on living the way we've been living. We must, we must be willing to say, hey, I want to just get this yoke that I somehow find on my shoulders off. I don't need to try to keep up with other people. I'm not in competition with them. My, I, my identity, my value is not derived by what I do or how many likes I get on a post. I can just, I can just rest in him. And then, then we can feel the life-giving power of the easy yoke that Jesus came to bring us. And so, I, I love the way that Eugene Peterson articulates this same invitation that Jesus gave in Matthew 11. I'm going to read it. Uh, I think we can throw it up here. Yeah. This is how Eugene Peterson in the message translation puts it. This is a paraphrase of the same verse we just looked at. Are you tired? Worn out? burned out on religion, then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you will learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Come with me. Learn from me. Work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so for the last seven weeks, we have been exploring some of those unforced rhythms. We have been practicing some of these spiritual practices that Jesus didn't just teach, but he modeled in his life. We've looked at three of them. We looked at solitude, this idea that Jesus would regularly carve out time to get away from the hustle and bustle of life. And let's be honest, Jesus was busy. That man, as you read any of the Gospels, you'll see he was in high demand. People were clamoring for his attention. And yet, in the midst of that, he regularly pressed pause walked away from the crowds and got out into, the, into solitude. What the, the Greek term there is the eremos, the wilderness, the lonely places, the solitary places. And as he drew away from the demands of life, he could simply sit and rest with his father and allow him to remind Jesus, A, who he was, and B, what he was about. 
And what we've seen is that the, the Aramos, the, the solitary place, far from being a place of weakness, where he was more vulnerable, was actually a place of strength, where his, he was shaped, where he was poured into, where he felt a, a greater sense of, I know who I am, I'm God's son, and I know what I'm about, I'm about his business. So that when people show up and he kind of re-engages back into life and people say, Jesus, people are looking for you, they want you to come and heal them, like, just like you did last night. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Let's go to another town. I haven't come just to be at people's beck and call and to solve every ill that they feel. I've come to do some of that. But really what I've come to is to advance the kingdom of God. And I've sown seeds here. Let's go to another town so I can share the good news there as well. Jesus was not clamoring for, Jesus was not there simply to garner people's approval. Jesus was there knowing who he was to do his father's business. And it was time in the Aramos, in the solitary place that gave him that strength, helped him refocus and go, this is what I'm about. He needed it, but we need it as well. Another practice that we've looked at is one of silence. In our life. I mean, I cannot tell you how much in my own life I recognize I have wrapped myself in a blanket of noise. Whether it's the television that we just turn on and don't even watch, we just have it playing, to Kindles in our house, to the greatest source of noise in my life is my cell phone. I mean, I get phantom buzzes in my pocket even when I don't have the phone in there. And I'm going, okay, we got an issue. Um, to the radio in the car, to all the other sources of noise that we surround ourselves with. We've got a ton of it in our lives. And that noise inhibits us from ever being able to hear the still small voice of our Father God because we are distracted. We're thinking about so many other things. And one of the practices we've looked at is turning off the noise so that we can tune into our Father's voice, so we can become more aware of it. But, as we've discussed, there's a difference between external noise and internal noise. And even when you turn off the external noise, the internal noise is pretty cacophonous, isn't it? It's pretty loud, and it even gets louder when you shut off the external stuff. And the thing about the internal noise is it's made up of these unprocessed emotions. There's a sea of it that just kind of roils beneath the surface of our skin. And it's made up of stuff like insecurity, disappointments about how life is going, uh, feelings of frustration at people or maybe ourselves, anxiety and anxiousness, fear of the unknown, and whatever else ails us. That kind of stuff just kind of bubbles and boils underneath the surface. And the reason we're so attracted to the external noise is it kind of masks that. And it's uncomfortable to sit in the silence because that begins to come to the forefront. And yet, we can't just ignore it. Because to ignore it doesn't make it go away. If we bury it underneath a whole bunch of noise, if we try to anesthetize it by running to our drug of choice, whether that be food or exercise or books or pornography or binge watching the Great British Baking Show on Netflix, hypothetically. Um, <laughs> if we try to mask it with noise, it's just going to end up bubbling up into the other areas of our life. It will affect every area. We'll just be less aware of the fact that it's doing so, but it's there. It's there. 
And yet, as we've seen, as we walked through particularly the story of Elijah, the prophet, when he kind of came to his end, as we lean into the noise, as we trust God to walk us through those dark valleys of discomfort that we find inside, we will find that there's actually joy on the other side. And there is a strength in being willing to wade into that. And so we've, we've looked at the need for silence in, in our lives. We've looked at the need for solitude built regularly into the rhythm of our life. And then last week, we took a look at a third and a crucial part of the way that God has designed us to live. And that is this, this idea of Sabbath that he wove into the very fabric of creation from the very beginning. Six days we labor. And on the seventh day, whatever day that happens to be, for me it's Friday night, Saturday. For many of you it's Sundays. For some of you it's a Monday or some other day of the week. But one day of the week we pause, we stop, we stop striving. Six days we try to provide for our family. One day of the week we stop and say, you know what, God, you are God and I am not. You are the provider and everything I have is from you. And we both fix our eyes on him, but we also pause to appreciate the gift of what he's given us. Because far too often we are so focused on providing for our family that we don't even stop to be present with them. And I'm looking at my boys, nine and six, and I'm going, holy moly, time is flying by. And I know many of you have grown children. Some of you get to do life with them here and, and you're like, okay, they're married now and soon it's going to be grandkids. Life goes by so quickly. And our Father created us to pause regularly, not just when we have a vacation every once in a while as if you need a light post. No, we need to do it weekly. Now, you can ignore it. It's not like a law that you have to do it, but you ignore it to your own detriment. Because this is not rules. This is simply wisdom. We need rest. And so for the last six or seven weeks, we've been wading into these waters of silence and solitude and Sabbath. No, I'm not doing the pastoral like you have to have everything that starts with the same letter. This is just that kind of part of the pool of spiritual practices that are about slowing down and resting with our Father, and reminding ourselves that we were not made to just keep running a million miles a minute. And our, our, our strength actually comes through. When, when you carve away time to be with Him, it actually changes every other minute. Because when you engage back into life, you come with a greater sense of understanding who you are and what you're about, and you can be more present with the people that you are face-to-face with. And it's beautiful. And I've seen this pay dividends in my own relationship with my family, my relationship with God. These last two months have been a gift to me. But I know that I'm not the only one that's been impacted by it. I've had an opportunity to hear some of the stories of, of those of you who have said, you know what, I want this to be more than just good information on a Sunday morning. I want this too. Because I find my life is a little bit out of control right now. I find the pace at which I'm running is a little too rapid. And I need to slow down as well. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take the next 20 to 30 minutes and just invite some of you who have been engaging in this conversation to share with us. So who would like to share how you have experienced 
life as you've changed the pace at which you've been running. Oh, I can wait longer than you can wait. Yes, Wendy. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, a few weeks, a few months ago, um, I was in a small Bible study, and the pastor was just sharing. Some of you have gone to Calvary Chapel. How, when he was riding in the car with Pastor Chuck, that Pastor Chuck did not have the radio on, and that he turned the radio off. It was just still. And I thought, well, I'm going to try that. And I have been doing that like for two months. And I use it as a time to just kind of pray. And, and just to pray and to think of the things I need to pray for and the people. And so that by the time I get to my destination, I've actually prayed for that too and prayed for the people. So it's just really a simple thing. But in my life, that stillness and, and the solitude, it's just really enabled me to focus on what I need to be praying for. Yeah. Jill. Um, I've been a Christian since I was 13, and I've heard lots of church messages. And what Eric's been sharing in the last month, especially last week, kind of hit me as something different. This whole idea of really dedicating one day, which I think Sunday makes sense, um, instead of just little little pieces here and there throughout the week where I would try to uh, be alone with God. And so last Sunday, I didn't do the laundry, didn't go to Target, and actually spent the whole afternoon um, just doing some of the things that were in what you gave us and relaxing, and it really made a difference throughout the week. Um, and I'm going to try to do that one, one day a week, and it's probably going to be Sunday if I can make it work. And um, it's a whole different way of thinking. I wrote on a little note to Eric and said it's kind of a game changer for me. So we'll see. It's, I'm, I'm one of those people that has a very demanding job, and I'm always busy. And so it's something that I, I think I really need. And I'm married to Don, who has no problem taking a nap and <laughs> relaxing. But I, I can never do it. So, so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Good. Good. Thank you so much, Joe. And by the way, there's some extra Sabbath packets in the back. I'm going to get over there to you, Lou, in just a second. But Sarah, I'd love for you. Cause so, so Sarah's fiancé, Nathan, is across the street. Um, and he's, he's loving on our third and through fifth graders. But he did something that I have dreamed of doing. So would you just kind of share what he did? Um, so Nathan actually um, texted me a couple of weeks ago or a month ago and um, said, I'm at the AT&T store. I'm getting a new phone. And he came back with a flip phone. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> you can only call and you can sort of text. <laughs> but um, it's been, just like she said, a game changer for him. He's like really used this time for rest. And I've noticed that our time together has been um, more intimate and being able to be more present with each other. And mm. he's He's doing awesome. Yeah. And that was something that you had been praying for for a while for him, isn't it? Yeah. I, I actually, um, during, in our relationship, it was something that I noticed that he struggled with. We'd hang out, be at dinner, and he'd be on his phone. And I, you know, mentioned it a little bit to him, and I had been praying about it. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, please put this on his heart to, you know, be more intentional with our time together. 
And then just out of the blue, he was like, hey, I'm at the AT&T store. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really cool. I love it. So the smartest thing he's done is go get a dumb phone. And one of the things that we're going to celebrate over Easter is the fact that because of the cross, uh, death doesn't even get the last word. And that for the first time in her life, Christy gets to rest. And she doesn't have to be on. And I'm grateful that that God continues to bless you even through her intentionality. Um, So, thanks for that. Jimmy. Um. I, I like that story a lot because you can see Christ in people. You can see God in people. And though you might have never met God the Father, I haven't, because if you do, you die, I guess. Because he's too pure. pure. Uh, so that's probably a good thing that you haven't. Uh, but, we've, but those of us who know Jesus, we know God. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but that's how that story blessed me. This uh, iPhone is a major distraction. And after going through this series, we're just, Heather and I are, you know, we're like, you know, we we spend so much time on this, and we spent, we might be together, but we're not really together. And so we made the decision to just kind of throw our phones um, at the door, not throw them, like Eric did the one Sunday. But, you know, because, you know, what are they? They're like $800 now. You can't do that. <laughs> but um, either way, uh, we decided to put our phones in a basket and just kind of be together, just Look at each other in the eyes. I mean, it's not hard because we're newlyweds. We look at each other in our, each other's eyes. Oh, so it's all about you, babe. I love you. <laughs> but the thing is, like, even even later, like, this is a practice that my parents have tried to do, and their this their 40th and wedding anniversary is coming up in August. And I'm just like, I look at them, and I'm so blessed. And it's them taking the time just to be with one another. And um, I look at all of you guys, and I'm so blessed because I see a rich heritage of people just taking the time to be with one another and loving one another. And it just it blesses my heart. And so that's what Heather and I have done. And we have found just richness in each other's eyes and in our words and just... Why haven't we always done this? Like, we were sucked into this vortex, this black hole of phone and distraction and stuff. It's just so easy. And it's hard. After a a full day of work, you just kind of want to be on your phone. But if you just take that little bit of effort and just like, I'm just going to put my phone away, that has made a difference, a world of difference. Are are we perfect at that? Nope. (laughs) Sometimes we'll we'll, we'll be on our phones and zombie out like all of us tend to do from time to time, but that has been a blessing for me, and I hope it will be for you too. Isn't Jimmy great? I'm so blessed. God blessed me with making me a chaplain resident at Hoke Hospital. And that's a 16-month-long education program teaching us how to be chaplains. And a good portion of our education is teaching us how to be chaplains and not self-destruct. Yesterday, I sat with a family for over eight hours that mom got up, started getting ready, had an aneurysm, and they were deciding to take her off of life support. They teach us to rest. Um, They have places in the hospital for us to rest. And they take it so important 
Um, our weekly schedule moves all over. On the top of it says this is a live document. There's one thing every other Thursday that doesn't move. And that's a time when the resident chaplains leave the hospital with the intern chaplains and we leave the campus and we go someplace to rest. Maybe it's a walk on the beach or um, um, art gallery or just something so that we can rest because it's so important to rest. And I'm really learning that I at times need to stop and just see what else is going on. Brief? (laughs) You hand a car salesman a mic and you're done. No. When he started mentioning shut the radio off and get in the slow lane, I drive 26 miles every day to work and I'm not going to Catalina. I'm going to an office in L.A. So I pulled over and started going in the slow lane. And don't you know, 26 miles later, a guy that was in the fast lane went by just as I was getting off, and I go, go figure, you know? So I have learned to be in the soft lane. I shut the radio off, and, um, you know, I'd sing to myself or something else. Finally, I shut up and listen to God. But one of the things that you said somewhere along the line, you don't necessarily have to quit what you're doing to slow down. You just have to rearrange what you're doing. I did that this last week. I'll be 80 years old. I spent three days in Las Vegas at a convention and got in a car with this gentleman yesterday morning and drove to Scottsdale and back. So I am not done. (laughs) But I can tell you we had a peaceful time because we rearranged our schedule and Dee and I went in the same car instead of him following me. We rented a car and drove back and we watched the sunset that was absolutely gorgeous. And we had a good fellowship together. You don't have to stop. You just have to stop and listen. Mm. We had a time to pray together. We had a time for good fellowship. We sold a $100,000 car to a guy and prayed over him as we dropped the car off. And we had a good time at lunch. We just I've learned to slow down and to ask for other people's help because Dee volunteered to help me. For years, I didn't take help. I'd have gotten that car, drove over there myself, and drove back by myself. But I'm learning I can slow down and enjoy life, but not just necessarily quit all I'm doing. Just change your priorities. And God can do that. He can use even an 80-year-old to do that. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. A couple more. Yes, absolutely. It's amazing the way that um, we miss what God is doing all around us. We miss him because we're so focused on getting where we're going that we don't actually appreciate where we are. And I'm finding that with, with solitude and Sabbath especially, and, and with silence, as we clip those things away and take time to pause, you begin to recognize, oh my goodness, I'm live, the things that I am striving for, I've already got if I would just simply be present with my family and whatnot. So, Joyce. Sometimes things are uh, hoisted on you that you don't expect to happen. This is quick. It just happens to be kind of cute. We've gotten into a habit now that our daughter's living with us again of watching movies on Friday night, and we have all of the usual fancy setups to do so and the big screen and whatever. And 
you know, maybe Fred and I will have a glass of wine. We'll get in there, have some popcorn, you know, sit down and watch a movie, find it, whatever. Uh-huh. We've been having more problems with our electronic gear and our Internet connections, and it goes off and whatever. And anyway, so we're all prepared for this Friday night, and it's raining, you know, a nice rainy night. We put a fire in the fireplace. The TV's right over that, and we try. And we try, and the baby's in there, and Michelle is in there, and we're all good to go, and we're trying, and nothing's working. We're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Finally, after about mm, 35 minutes of no whatever, getting totally on the edge of losing it, waiting for our corned beef, I just go upstairs and I get the suspend. And for those of you that don't know what suspend is, it's one of the neatest games in the whole world. Turn the doggone TV down, put the suspend on the table in front of the fire, sit on the floor and play a good old game with the three of us and have some family, good old-fashioned family fun. And that's all there is to that one. Love it. Love it. Oh, my goodness. Now, when's the last time you played a board game? Hefe shared a story with me that I, I, I want him to be able to share with you about how God even improved his fishing. Wow. I'm, I'm supposed to. Okay, well, I'm supposed to go into communion after this, so no pressure. Um, I have met God, and God loves fishermen. But this fisherman had a problem. He needed music to fish, and slack-key Hawaiian music is my music of choice. So thank you, Jason, for coming from Hawaii, because slack-key, is it does it for me. So I put slack-key on my iPhone, and then I'm ready to fish. You like Slacky too? And if you've ever heard Slacky, it's just a very unique Hawaiian sound. And something about that, and late at night, I'm ready to fish. And so when Eric Lowe, giant Eric Lowe, came up and gave his testimony about shutting the radio off and Luca being exposed to him as this student, as the pastor speaking that day, I realized, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Eric was trembling. And Eric, I'm 6'1", 240, and Eric's bigger than me. And I was just like, you know, God's just like moving through this guy telling the story. And it's like, all he did was shut off his radio. And the Lord exposed to him, the students, like, uh, hello, you have your radio on all the time. Ding dong. Um, maybe he's talking to you. You know, it's always good when he's talking to someone out there, right? And I was like, oh, communion. I'm supposed to be communing with the Lord while I'm fishing. So... I'm at 74th Street, which is my home away from home, and it's the middle of the day. It's like 4.30, and I've got my slack key on. I'm super happy. I'm like, shut the radio off. Just shut the radio off. And so I shut the radio off, and all of a sudden, I see Catalina. I'm like, it's always been there. I, I played high school sports against them, so we went to Catalina back and forth. My, I went to a small Christian school, so we played against them all the time. And all of a sudden, I could see Catalina. I'm like, wow, Catalina is so beautiful today. I'm having like this little moment on the beach, this me and the Lord. I'm like, wow, there's some birds out there. And all of a sudden, I see a whale going by. I'm sitting in my chair fishing, and I'm having like this total moment, me and the Lord, just communing. I'm like, whale. And people have their heads down. They're just walking in front of me. And I'm like, whale, people, whale. And no one's listening to me. And all of a sudden, if you guys have ever fished, when, when there's a ball of anchovies or smells or something, the birds will start coming down and start circling. All of a sudden, I start seeing fins out there, and they're not shark fins. They're dolphins, and there's not like one or two. There's like 30 of them, and they are working a massive, massive bait ball. And all of a sudden, there wasn't like two or three birds. 
I'm sitting in my chair, and all of a sudden, it's like the world is exploding right off the beach in front of me. And I'm like, five birds, ten birds, a hundred birds, two hundred birds. And people are still just walking by me, and I'm like, stop walking. Everyone, stop walking. Look at what the Lord is doing. I have seen the Lord. We need to talk, Lou, afterwards. I have seen the Lord. It's like the Lord is is stirring the And a dolphin comes straight up out of the ocean, SeaWorld-worthy multiple flips and fins and 300 birds swarming and I'm sitting in my chair going this is the first time I've turned my radio off what have I missed what have I missed at 74th street in my life <laughs> and it was only like 4.30 or 5 and I was already worn out I, I, didn't, I hadn't caught any fish or anything and I was just like and all of a sudden, the people who had been walking by, they're like, oh, yeah. And then they just went back to walking. You know, they just zombied out. And I just sat there in my chair, and I was just like, oh, Lord. Wow. And I thought the radio was good, man. How, how sad that I needed to fill my ears with that. And I didn't think that you were sufficient to fill my head with, with sights and sounds and so many different things. I mean, I know I'm a simple fisherman. I, I know I'm a simple person, but yeah, forgive me for thinking that I had something better, you know, that I, have, that I know a better way to relax. That was so much more relaxing and invigorating and to know that you are God and that you are alive and that the heavens and your creation and I could see your finger coming down and just stirring your creation right there in front of me. And I was communing with you. And, and all I wanted to do is just stop the world that had their heads down and their Walkmans on. And Oh, you don't have Walkmans anymore. Huh? Their, their earbuds on. And they were just, they were missing life. Commune with the Lord and see who he is. He's just 50 yards off the beach. Life was exploding. And they were just, it was just passing by. And so that was what I wanted to talk to you about today before communion is just, you know, once a month, once every two months, whenever we get to do communion, we get a chance to stop and commune with God. We get a chance to stop what we're doing and shut the noise off and say, you know what, Lord, stir in my heart that thought that your son came from heaven, gave up his seat in heaven to come down and, and be the sacrifice for us. And we get a chance to walk up to this little table, which is a, a, a remembrance for us to do something in remembrance of him. That this bread reminds us that every time we take this bread in, that we're not doing this thing alone. We don't have to, to go to the hospital and explain to this family that they're going through this thing alone. I'm so grateful that God has chosen a man of God to, to be a chaplain at this hospital. If any of you go to Hogue, just know that, you know, he's placed the man of God over there. It's so great to know that Greg is there. I'm so thankful for that. But we don't take this cup, and we don't have to take it in going, you know what, I have to bear the sins that I have in my life on my own. No, the sins that we have have been cleansed, and he doesn't see us that way. When we commune with God, when we talk with God, when we reach out to him, he responds, and he responds mightily to us. You know, today we're privileged to know that there's a couple of newborn babies in this audience today. And I love when Eric or I am speaking. And I just want to say something to the moms really quick. Um, to me, there's no greater joy. And I see Eric nod. And there is no greater joy in my heart than to hear a baby crying during a message. Thank you for privileging us with your children. 
Yes, we prefer, we prefer laughter over crying, but thank you for privileging us with that. And we just want to let the church know that we are going to be having a baby dedication, a child dedication on um, Mother's Day coming up. And we have five, over five families committed to do this. It's going to be an exceptional day. And we want to tell you in advance, so moms, please come. We know that you will be blessed as well that day, but we're so blessed to do that. So as we get ready to just take a moment, I want to give you a moment to just be alone with your thoughts in preparation for communion. Would you just think about that this morning? Think about the last time you just got alone with your thoughts to commune with the Lord. Thank you for this series. Thank you for the opportunity for trembling body parts that still don't work every time you do communion because you realize the privilege it is to be a partaker in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We are made anew in him. Praise God. Let's take a moment. of worthiness. We don't come to the table with a sense of completion. We don't even come to the table with a sense of understanding. We come to the table at a gratefulness and thankfulness and appreciation for what it means. So grateful that we get to commune with your son every time that we take it. Every time that we stop and think of the gift that he gave us when he gave his life for us. Before we knew him, he gave his life so that we could know him, so that we would not have to wander through this life aimlessly And know if he does or doesn't exist. We could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ does exist. That he is the one true way, the living, breathing son of God. And he sits clothed in righteousness at your right hand. We know there is no other name for which you are saved other than the name of your son. And it is his name, Father, that we come before you today and we say thank you as we come to the table. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his great gift. May you look past our inadequacies. May you see past these earthen vessels. And Father, may you continue to wash us anew that we might press on and find the time and rearrange the space to make you rightly who you are. And share that love with the lost around us. For there are many lost still around us, Father. And they need to know your Son. Be with us this morning, Father, as we come to your table. We ask that in the precious name of the King above kings, your Son, Jesus. Amen.